Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. The Hebrews chapter 11. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. And we left, off, we left off on verse 10, so today we're picking him up on verse 11. And I'm calling the title today, Strangers and Pilgrims on Earth. And yeah, you know, I don't really mean like we're aliens in that respect. That we're, I picked the picture, so it's my fault. I was trying to find a picture that actually gave the feel of strangers and pilgrims, because some translations say aliens, I'll show you in a moment. But I take this this title from verse 13 of our text today. Let's just look ahead a little bit at verse 13. And it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. So that's what New King James says, but I'm going to show you uh, some translation variants that, I, that really hit me, okay? The New American Standard says that they were strangers and exiles on earth, which, by the way, this is talking about the patriarchs who never really received all the promises of God. They just, they received them but didn't really receive them. Kind of like us, and we'll talk about that today. New Living Translation says that they agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Can you relate? Well, the Holman Christian Standard Bible puts it this way. All these, or these all died in faith without having received the promises, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. So, God help us to understand. That, and, you know, understand eternal principles and to believe them and embrace the eternal perspective of life, knowing that this life and everything in it is temporary. You ever have a hard time with that? There's times I'm think, I, I get all upset about things on earth. You know what? One of the secrets, I think I posted this on Facebook. Every now and then I'll, I'll post it on Facebook. Now, one of the ways I cope with whenever I'm stressed out and I'm worried about all the things that's going on, whether it's bills or people or drama in the church, whatever that's going on, how do I calm myself down? I say, so how would all this stuff be settled or handled if you die tonight? I suddenly feel relieved. <laughs> Well, if I die tonight, it's not my problem anymore. <laughs> so I kind of like that because really we got to realize you and I, we're temporary. All the things you are worried about and try to fix and try to tackle in life, it's like, you know, there could come a day when it's not your problem anymore. And so today we're going to talk about having the eternal perspective and what a difference it makes because the only permanent things in this life are people and the Word of God. The word of God, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words 
by no means will pass away. John wrote in 1 John 2.17, And this world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So folks, I hope that God has some divine appointments for you to hear exactly what God wants you to hear, that this life is temporary. How many times have I tried to minister to, there's this gal right now, I don't know if she's watching online, but there's a gal, Linda and I have gone over to her house several times and pray for her and we pray for her every night and she's got stage four cancer. They put her on hospice care and she's gonna die and she's in her early 50s and why? Sometimes I look at stuff like that, I go, why not me instead of her, Lord? You know, but what I'm trying to tell her and what I have to tell myself, we need the eternal perspective because when we get to heaven, Nobody is going to complain that I died too early. We're going to go, yippee, right? When you get to heaven, you're not going to even complain how you died. Why did you let me get cancer? Why did you let that happen? We, right now, the earthly perspective, we have sorrow. We have grief. We look at life and we look at the tragedies of life and we're overwhelmed. But in eternity, it's going to all be made right. He's going to wipe away every tear and as I wrestled through this this week, and believe me, it, it affects me. Sometimes I, I think that people think that I'm just talking to them. They go, oh, Pastor, you really spoke to me today. Well, I've been spoken to all week. It's your turn, okay? <clears throat> because, <coughs> oh, I, I didn't push it right. Okay, though this has been gripping me all week, and I've pondered the text and pondered the concepts and, and everything that I value in life. And I have to realize that my hopes, my dreams, my aspirations, my securities, how, do I, how does this translate into my life? Well, here's what I come up with. I jotted a few things down. and Later, they'll be your fill-in so you don't have to write this down. But my hope is not here. My rest is not here. My retirement is not here. I'm a stranger in a strange land. I'm a pilgrim passing through. And then I remembered that song. You probably don't, never heard it before because when I was a worship leader when I was a young man in the 80s, yeah, I've been, I know you didn't think I was that old, but when I was a young man in the 80s, I was a worship leader. And I used to, sometimes people would teach me corny songs. And, and corny, but I'd go, I'm going to teach that this Sunday night. And there was one song, it said, my home is in heaven, just a-waiting for me. And when I get there, oh, how happy I'll be. My home is in heaven, the rent is free. Because Jesus paid it on Calvary, on Calvary. You can see what era that comes from. So you... You know, now you know why I don't do worship anymore. Because sometimes I hear a song, and I don't care if it's corny, I'm going to teach it, you know. But it, the meaning of it, the, the message of it, it's just what I needed, and it's just what we need today. So Father, help us to gain this morning the eternal perspective. Lord, help us for ourselves, that we wouldn't cling so tightly to this life that we're not even thinking of the next, that we put so much value and so much... We cling to this world and to these things. And Lord, help us to be, hold on to them lightly, knowing that we ourselves are temporary in this world and that someday we'll all be with you and everything will be different and you'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. Lord, have your way. Speak to us now through your word in Jesus' name.
Amen. Okay, help me, Lord. We got a, we got a lesson to learn today. So we've been learning about faith. Hebrews eleven one says, uh, "Faith is the is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen." Hebrews eleven six says that without faith, it's impossible to please God because well, you, everyone who believes, we must believe that He is, is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So we've been looking at it and getting in perspective. So here's your first filling. I got it right. There you go. Uh, I have been considering what real faith looks like, or we have been considering what real faith looks like in the life of those approved by God. We've been looking at the patriarchs, those who the, in the hall of faith, they're found in Hebrews 11, and they're commended for their faith. And yet we find that they're really not perfect, are they? So Hebrews 11 through 17, or excuse me, in, in Hebrews 11, there's 17 witnesses to the life of faith. And it starts in verse 2. Um, let's see, I looked at the wrong chapter. Verse 2, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. So who are the elders? Well, there are many patriarchs and elders of the past, but we're just going to look at 17 in Hebrews 11. Now I hope you could bear with me because I've heard this chapter taught many times and nobody's ever done it the way I'm doing it. When it talks about somebody, we're going to go back and look at their life. Instead of just going through the list. We might spend a little bit more time on some than others, but we're going to look at their lives. Today, we look at the life of Sarah. We've already covered Enoch and Abel and Noah and Abraham or Abram when he was first called. And next, the Holy Spirit in the book of Hebrews brings forth one whom some might consider an unlikely candidate. If you know Sarah or Sarai when she was first called with Abraham and later her, her name was changed to Sarah in verse 11. It says, <clears throat> By faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now I know if you know the Bible, your mind's going, you're going, wait a minute. That's not the way I remember the story. So let's look at the story. First of all, let me tell you who Sarah is, where people don't always get it right. She was, of course, Abraham's wife, but she was also his half-sister. What? Is that legal? Well, it was then. And actually, um, they shared the same father, but not the same mother, because in that culture, men had many wives. You're familiar with that? If you study the Bible, you could... By the way, you could get this clearly in Genesis chapter 20, verse 12. Genesis 20, 12, where Abraham explains, well, she is my half-sister and my wife. Okay, now, she's also the mother of Isaac. And as a result, remember, Abraham had Isaac and then Jacob. And then the 12 tribes of Israel came from Jacob. And so Sarah is kind of like the mother of the Hebrew people, just like Abraham is. So let's get to know Sarah and and. Let's understand why the Holy Spirit included her in this hall of faith. First, let's look at God's promise to Abraham. Of course, it was Abram at the time, and it included um, Sarah as well. I should have had my cough drop this morning. I skipped it. Yeah, I know Linda's looking. I gave you one. I didn't. I didn't take my medicine, honey. Okay. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now, I'm going to put a map up while I read this. So you can just look at the map. And this is part one. This is just the, we're only going to go to maybe uh, number three here, okay? As you look at that, and I'm going to read you the story. 
Genesis 12.1 The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country and relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. And I'll make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make you famous and you will be blessing to others. And I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord instructed, and Lot went with him. Now, we talked about part of the, the evidence of true Bible faith is obedience. And we looked at the obedience of faith continually. We're going to continually see it in the future patriarchs or elders. And here it is in verse 4. It goes on to say, Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. And he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, which he was a wealthy man, his livestock and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran. And he headed for the land of Canaan. And when they arrived in Canaan, Abraham traveled through the land as far as Shechem. And there he set up camp besides the Oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west, Ai to the east. And there he built another altar. He was building altars everywhere he went, if you follow the life of Abram, unto the Lord. And he dedicated to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord. And then Abram continued traveling south by stages towards the Negev. Now, by the way, uh, if you see it on the map there, after this promise, after he says, I'm going to give this land to you, he didn't stay in the land. I don't think God told him to go to Egypt, but sometimes circumstances direct people's lives rather than the voice of the Lord. And there was a famine in the land, and so Abraham and his family went to Egypt, and that's where there was some trouble. We talked about last week, some trouble began. And so <clears throat> after that story, he goes to Egypt, and then he comes back to Hebron. So the next thing I want you to see is, we, first we see that Abraham was given a promise, and by the way, he's 75 years old, he doesn't have any kids. And he's been married to Sarai for a long time, and they're not having any kids. And you know how troubled that could be to some couples. They go, well, we want kids. Well, whose fault is it? Is it yours or mine? Well, why don't, well, you're doing something wrong, you know. And there was, there was tension there. So Sarai thought she'd fix it. And so in Genesis chapter 16, and this is why people might question if Sarai should even be included in the Hall of Faith. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, and I'm reading this from New Living Translation. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And I, we talked about this last week, that that was the custom of the land. We look at it now, we're horrified. Uh, of course, there's a lot of things that should horrify you that's happening today, right? As far as sexual relationships. But this was the custom and acceptable. And we talked about this last week, that sometimes what's, what's customary in the land is wrong. Okay? Sometimes what's totally accepted as culturally correct, and everyone tips their hat to it, and nobody has a problem with it, it's wrong, and it's going to cause trouble we talked about it, but I can't help reminding you again. Let's keep going here. It says, Abram agreed to Sarai's proposal. Typical man, right? Okay. 
So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, <clears throat> and gave her to Abram as his wife. And, and that happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So they've been married a long time. No kids. You know, I like to show PowerPoints. I showed Linda. I, I was looking up uh, pictures that I could put up about Sarah giving um, Hagar to Abram. There's some on the Don't look for them. I, I can't use them. Okay, there's some really weird ones up there. Okay. So in verse 4 it says, um, So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. So it makes Sarai look like she's the one that's broken, right? And, uh, but when Hagar knew that she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Ha ha. I can have kids and you can't. You're broken. There's tension there. By the way, those of you guys who think it might be kind of interesting to have a harem or have multiple wives... This is just a, a small glimpse of the kind of stuff that goes, it's not, if you talk to somebody who's been in a multi-person marriage, it gets ugly fast, okay? And that's what's happening here. <clears throat> so when Hagar knew, okay, where did I read? Verse 5. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. Well, he should have said no, but it was her idea, right? Marriage problems. <clears throat> This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms. Dad, don't you forget it. But now she's pregnant and treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Honey, I was just... <laughs> what a mess. Okay, so this is developing here. First the promise, then Sarai's attempt to fulfill the promise, and then third, I want you to see later, God's promise to Abram was specifically about Sarah. Okay, and that's Genesis chapter 18. And... Um, a little backstory that the Lord appeared to Abram. I wanted to read the whole chapter, but there's too much. I'd, I'd get sidetracked and wanted to explain everything. So maybe in your growth groups you could read Genesis 18. But the Lord appears to Abram with three messengers. It says the Lord appeared, and there's three people there. Isn't that interesting? The Lord. Three people there. Okay. So the Lord appears with three visitors, and Abram, Abram at the time is trying to be all hospitable, tells his wife, go make some food. He slaughters a calf, and he gets some, something going, makes a real nice feast for them. And, and after they eat, or while they're, she's preparing the food, it says in Genesis 18, 9, the Lord says, where's Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. Interesting, the visitors, plural. It's, like, it's almost like a little hint of the Trinity in the Old Testament here. And she's, she's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Actually, I guess by this time, God had changed her name. And, and then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening to the conversation from the tent, and Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of children. So she laughed silently to herself, and, and she said, How can a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? Because she wanted a kid all her life. Now it's too late, right? Especially when my master, my husband, is so old. Now she's going to blame him, right? Or too old. Look at him, right? <clears throat> then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? I bet Abraham didn't know. Why did she say, Can an old woman have a baby? Or like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid and denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you laughed. So would you include her in the hall of faith? Oh, I want to be like Sarah. You know, look at the, wait a minute now. Here, by the way, 
after this, in the setting of the book of Genesis, these three visitors, then next they go to Sodom and Gomorrah. You know the story, what happens when the angels, actually two of them went, and one of them stayed with Abraham. And so, to put it in the setting in your mind, that's the story in the setting of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, God kept his word to Abraham and Sarah, and in Genesis 21, here's what the text says. Genesis 21, again, I'm still reading from the New Living Translation. Verse 1. The Lord kept his word and did, uh, and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant. She gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. And this happened just as the time God said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. And Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. Is anything too hard for God? But let me just tell you a true confession. <clears throat> I'm only in my 60s, uh, the later part of them. But I don't want to start having kids now. How many of you guys are through raising kids, all right? How many of you guys are in the middle of raising kids? Is it hard? How many old folks would like to start all over again? <laughs> okay, so a hundred years old. Oh, God bless you, Abraham. Then Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Not laugh at me. I'm laughing about this. Matter of fact, one of the things you're going to talk about in your small groups, I, I put a growth group question. Have you ever laughed at a promise of God? Either in ridicule or in delight. I've chuckled at things God has done in delight. I don't know if you ever have. There's been times I see what God do, did, and I'm like, that's just like the Lord to do that. And he's made me laugh many times, okay? And so um, she says, all who hear will laugh with me. Who would have said that Abraham and Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I've given Abraham a son in his old age. Now, by the way, Isaac means to laugh. And so it's an appropriate name. I laughed. I got pregnant. His name is Laugh, okay? It's to laugh. So, and by the way, theologians argue over what Hebrews 11, going back to our, our chapter, Hebrews 11, 11, commending Sarah or mentioning Sarah in the Hall of Faith. I've read and listened to theologians arguing that the Holy Spirit isn't really talking about Sarah. It's talking about the faith of Abraham. That by faith... By Abraham's faith, Sarah was able to concede because of Abraham, and they take it all away from Sarah. But you know what, uh, how you solve questions like this? Keep reading. Whenever you hear arguments in theology, and they zero in on a word or zero in on a verse, and they go, well, I can't be, blah, 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 blah. it's like, keep reading. It's really, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out the Bible. Uh, keep reading. Look at verse 11 carefully. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past age. Listen to this. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Who are they giving credit to? Abraham, um, excuse me, Sarah considered God faithful. Was it, who had the faith? Well, Abraham definitely had the faith. We'll talk about that in a bit. But don't take anything away from Sarah. Because there's times we might at first chuckle at something. There are times you might chuckle when you read your Bible. Well, yeah, I think it did happen. There's times we chuckle. And, and sometimes, either sooner or later, we change our tune and go, nope, I believe it. 
And I think that's what happened to Sarah. She might have chuckled like, yeah, right, I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> Abraham, have you looked at him? <laughs> and then after a while, she's gone. God is faithful. So this, this chapter on faith should encourage us all because we realize, you know what? There's times we waver, there's times we doubt at first and then change our mind. And Sarah is a great example. Now, what does the New Testament specifically say about Sarah? In, in 1 Peter 3, 6, Sarah is commended. But let me read a little bit of context in this from 1 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 1. 1 Peter 3, 1 says this. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even some who refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about your outward beauty, fancy hairstyles and expensive jewelry or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God, which I want to keep reading, but let me tell you something. The Bible says several times that Sarah was beautiful on the inside and out, right? But I want you to watch what's happening here. Peter is going to give an example. Sarah is an example to Christian wives that we should follow her example because she said a good one. goes on to say in verse 5, This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. You know, that's, that's not common today. This equality thing. We are equal. Can I tell you something? Men and women are equal. But in a marriage, the Bible teaches us that the man is the head of the home in the marriage. Okay? Can a woman still be a boss at work? Well, if she's, if she's qualified for the job, then she could be a boss. Okay? This is talking about the structure within a marriage. And this is totally rebelled against today with sometimes people inside the church as well as outside. And so we're told uh, that they put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, verse 6, Sarah. So she's used as an example. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him master. And you are daughters, you are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. And so, actually, in context, this verse was written to those who are married to unbelievers. Jesus, he's the resurrection, the we hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.